0: Welcome back to the Writer's Nook Podcast. I'm Hannah Bauman, editor and writing coach.
1: And I'm Leah Davis, a fantasy and romance writer. And I know we said we would continue with the theme of the last episode, how engaging in other media can make you a better writer, but we decided to embrace the season.
0: After all, today is October 30th, if you're listening on release day. It is the day before one of the most fun holidays of the entire year.
1: Yes, Halloween is my favorite time of the year. I go all out with decorations, we go to scary movies, and I even have a Halloween party where we play a D&D one-shot. It only makes sense that I would enjoy writing horror and suspense just as much.
0: And while I don't really like scary movies, and Christmas is my favorite holiday, I do really enjoy stories with elements of the supernatural and horror, especially witches lately. That's what I've been really into, and I am a sucker for pumpkin pastries in particular at this time of year so what better time to release a spooky podcast about spooky writing right
1: yes so grab your favorite hot drink a cozy blanket and light your fall candles we won't be summoning any ghosts or demons today the ouija board can stay packed away today we'll cover how to pace your horror story how to implement tension and the secrets to suspense
0: So one of the most important elements for writing a suspenseful and spooky story is to find the right pacing. Not only do you need to pace your plot properly, but you also need to pace your sentences and paragraphs.
1: Shall we start with pacing your plot then?
0: That sounds great.
1: Writing horror is a little different from other stories. Every genre has its own expectations. Romance has tenets to follow, like the ups and downs of falling in love. Horror has its own too. In the beginning of horror stories, there's a clear setup. There are characters, there's a hint of danger, and by working slow and hitting hard, you can create a horrific pacing in your plot. By this, I mean you should allow moments of peace and moments of mystery. That way, when your climactic moments happen, they have more impact. Like in the Jason movies, we need to meet the campers, then they need to start dying, and the rest of them need to figure out what is killing them.
0: Yes, and I would also argue that no matter what genre you're writing, it can't be all action all the time. The climactic moments have less impact if every moment feels like the climax.
1: Exactly. The moments of peace allow the reader's heart rate to settle. They give a false sense of safety or hope that you can later twist. The moments of mystery, where there are questions and clues, lead toward a climactic aha moment for the reader. Each planned moment should... Somehow, bolster the next. Horror isn't just about being cruel and gruesome, it's about how well you can control what the reader is feeling while reading.
0: And so, the construction of your sentences is crucial to the pacing of your story, too. Each scene you write needs to be paced in service of the larger plot, and sentence and paragraph construction is how you do that. As a basic rule of thumb, shortened sentences can be quicker and more impactful. On the other hand, longer sentences can be used to create tension and drama. They create that just-get-to-the-point reaction you're looking for to drive the reader mad at a crucial moment.
1: I'll admit that while scripting this episode, I'm reading Wilder Girls by Rory Power. This book is a great exercise in how forming sentences can influence what the reader feels while reading. Power bent the rules of common grammar structure in favor of effect. In one point of view, a character often feels woozy and loses moments. Power inserted long tabs between unpunctuated sentences to give the sensation of lost time. Other characters have shorter, more direct ways of speaking on the page. This creates a faster pace. By using shorter sentences, the flow of reading is quickened. Less time is spent mentally assembling the clauses and how they interact. Flow moves quickly from one thought to the next. This is great for action to make things feel very in the moment and quick paced.
0: Though we should caution you that you should not use short sentences exclusively. I feel like in writing, there's always like a little asterisk, a disclaimer that has to go with like every piece of advice because there's always like 18 exceptions to that generalization. (laughs) So using only short sentences, be very stilted and actually have the opposite effect of what you want. And then longer and more complex sentences mixed with short sentences will all serve a purpose and work together to build your appropriate and desired pacing. As Leah said, you can bend the rules for effect, but keep in mind that just too much of anything, anything in your writing, too much of it, can really throw your readers off. Even in action scenes, you need some balance, and there are absolutely no absolutes. That's the only absolute there is.
1: This can feel difficult. You might ask where that balance belongs, and we don't have an answer for you. This is your decision to make. If you're unsure of what is working, we do have a trick for you.
0: So if you really want to test the pacing of a scene or paragraph you've written, you can do a few things. First, you can have your computer read it out loud to you. It's probably going to sound a little awkward because it is a computer voice, um, but it is an easy and free way for you to actually literally hear your story so you can check how the sentences and paragraphs flow together. Another option is to have someone else read it to you. I find that when I'm not the one actually doing the reading, I can focus on the pacing and how things kind of flow together. Um, I don't know if there's any, like, scientific evidence to back it up, but it seems to help, so I say try it. When I reread things to myself, I always focus more on editing than actually just objectively observing it.
1: I can't tell you how many times I've let my husband read something and he tripped over the sentences that I thought were beautiful. When we get up in our heads, we're too close to a thing. Having that auditory separation can really show you a lot that you're missing out on.
0: Yeah, and it can be a little unnerving to hear someone or something if you're using your computer read your sentences back to you. It's really funny what we miss on our own. Um, I find that even when I'm like you know, like proofreading my own thing before I give it to my critique group. If I have my computer read it out loud to me, there's always something that it catches. Um, You can just miss a lot when you're too close to it. So anyway, your final option is to have a critique partner or beta reader be the judge of your pacing. Uh, For later in the season, we do have an episode plan on critique partners and beta readers, but basically these are readers and writers who can help you revise your story.
1: In general, while you write, monitor how you're feeling as you draft a scene. More than once I've noticed myself holding my breath. If I'm having that kind of effect on myself, then there's a strong chance the readers will have it too. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the beginning is absolutely crucial in horror, because there's a lot of setup that needs to happen. The beginning unfolds slowly, showing the readers what is at stake. The threat of loss is the greatest tool of horror. Your beginning introduces everything that can be lost, usually life in this case. The middle is where loss begins to happen. From there, you can snowball into the climax, going faster and faster like a roller coaster. In regards to horror, controlling the pacing of your plot will give you a step up when it comes to tension.
0: And tension and conflict are... I think obviously important to any genre and any story, but tension is even more important in horror because you can use it to manipulate the reader's reaction.
1: Tension is basically that what's next feeling. It's when you hold your breath. It's when you brace for impact. No story is complete without it, especially in horror. Just think about any horror movies or TV shows you've watched, and you know exactly the moments we're talking about here.
0: One of the ways you can add tension to your story is to play on opposites and dichotomies. For example, after the initial scary thing your reader sees, lead the reader back into a moment of peace. If we see that a scary monster is hiding in the attic, redirect them to how beautiful and sunny it is outside. You know, look at the fresh-baked cookies and listen to the birds sing. But then, maybe there's a thump from upstairs, and the protagonist is home alone, so what is that thump? When you propel their beer from one end of the spectrum to the other, back and forth and back and forth, they know something's coming because you've given them a small glimpse of danger. And then they wait with bated breath for this piece that you've created to come crashing down.
1: It's like that movie recently where the trailer, like the woman turns the lights off and then she sees the ghost at the end of the hall. When she turns it back on, the ghost disappears.
0: Oh man, I don't even want to think about it. I can't do horror
1: movies. <laughs> As we can see, I love horror. I wrote a short horror story a long time ago about Lovecraftian aliens and what a chef does when one tries to break into her home.
0: That's a very Leah story.
1: (laughs) It so is. It opens on a bright new day in the morning news. We all have those kinds of mornings. They're familiar and that brings a sense of peace and comfort to the scene and the reader alike. Then the alien creature intrudes one tentacle at a time. These opposites are crucial. The familiar faces off with the unknown. Comfort with chaos. It also shows that there is a way of living that is at stake. The chef's mourning is interrupted. As the problem progresses and the news states that this is happening all over the world, the stakes rise. Her mourning has been sacrificed. Now the life she built for herself is at stake. Like I said before, loss is what drives horror. The stakes can be worldwide or personal. Both can have the same effect. It's up to you to decide what your characters do not want to lose. Then you have to take it from them.
0: Ooh, scary. (laughs) So we've talked about what the reader knows and how that will help your horror story. Let's move on to what the reader doesn't know. I think that's just as important in this genre.
1: Suspense is what drives readers forward with bated breaths. This is another key element in horror stories. Unanswered questions create suspense. We don't know if our plucky main character has what it takes to survive the serial killer in her house. We don't know what kind of creatures are stealing people out from under our noses.
0: The fear of the unknown is what really sells horror as a genre, and I think that's because it taps into our primal, you know, what's waiting for me in the dark survival instinct. It gives us a shot of adrenaline, even though we know at the end of the story, it's only a story. This lets us explore our fears of loss, darkness, and monsters without ever being in any real danger.
1: Like I said before, horror happens at the intersection between the familiar and the unknown. Playing on our fear of what we don't know will help build suspense. Readers want to figure out what it is they don't know, like if Harry and Ginny will kiss in Harry Potter. And in the case of horror, readers are pushing forward to uncover the coming danger. They want to know the identity of the serial killer. They want to know if the hero will survive and how. Give your readers just enough information to get a handle on the scene. Hide the rest behind clues and misinformation so the reader never has a perfect understanding of what's going on.
0: We've got an upcoming episode about balancing exposition aka background information and actual story and that's one way to keep questions unanswered for readers. If you want readers to wonder about who the serial killer is you probably don't want to write four paragraphs of stereotypical backstory for them. You can slip in clues but don't like jam a ton of information down the reader's throats at the first chance you get that is not a good way to leave unanswered questions
1: you can also utilize tropes to misdirect your readers use a red herring to point your protagonist and readers in the wrong direction make your reader think they know one thing only to prove them wrong it's another tool to build suspense. Making your reader think they know one thing, only to prove them wrong, is another tool that you can use to build suspense. It gives the reader a sense of comfort and understanding, and then you get to shake that.
0: And a red herring is just a fancy way of, like, misdirecting your reader. It's just a fancy term. So this can be any kind of false clue or lead that you give your characters and your readers, and they are really important when you want to add plot twists and increase the stakes.
1: Wasn't there a character in Scooby-Doo named Red Herring?
0: Uh, Probably. That sounds like something they would do. (laughs) I've not seen that show in years. (laughs) Um, But so as an example, maybe your protagonist is hunting a serial killer and finds clues that point us in one direction. We think it's Bob, but then when we have Bob in custody, the killer strikes again. So obviously it can't be him.
1: And modern crime shows are great at delivering red herrings. There's at least one per episode. Binge your favorite, but keep an eye out for what clues might be the red herring. When you see them, try to understand how these clues can lead in both directions, but push a viewer in the wrong one when delivered with other clues.
0: If you put all of these techniques together, you will be on the right path to create a truly spooky and scary story.
1: Plus, you can also use these in... Any other kind of genre you would like to write, from cozy mysteries to young adult fantasies.
0: Oh, definitely. Yes. Tension, conflict, suspense, red herrings, they are applicable to just about any any genre. You just have to really up the ante for horror.
1: Hannah, what listener mail do we have today?
0: Alright, so today we have a question from Samantha. It is, how do you power through a manuscript when you're stuck? Should you do that or should you not do that?
1: So my advice would be two parts. One, if you're stuck, maybe that scene isn't necessary for your story and you could skip ahead. Or you're doing the scene wrong and there's something else that you could be doing that's better for your narrative. And two, take a step away from it and go absorb something else that could inspire you.
0: Yeah, I would say the same thing. Um, if you try to push through it too hard, you might end up writing something that really doesn't work or that you really don't like. Um, I would also say, yes, skip around. Maybe I mean, maybe you're just stuck on the scene because you don't know how to put it together. It could just be because you don't need it. Um, but if there is something you know you want to write, go do that instead. That's a great way to get back into the flow. Or, yes, you can absolutely take a break from your project. I've taken breaks from my fiction work many times in the past um, when I'm feeling stuck. The only time that doesn't work is if you are under a deadline to someone, like a publisher or an editor or someone else where you aren't in control of that. In which case, I would absolutely say, yes, you're just going to have to power through it.
1: Also, talking the scene out with someone else might help you work through it. The person might not have any good advice coming back towards you, but sometimes saying it out loud with another person can help you unkink your your knots.
0: One time, just a fun story for everyone, Um, at our old apartment complex... Um, we were getting pizza delivered one night for dinner and the pizza delivery guy got completely lost. So my fiance and I had to go outside to find him. And I was taking a break from writing like in that moment when the pizza was supposed to be delivered and I was stuck. So the whole time we were trying to find the pizza delivery guy, I was literally talking through my plot out loud at my fiance. He didn't know how to answer, but it helped me figure out what I needed to do. (laughs) And I got pizza. So there you go.
1: <laughs> that is a win-win, right? Yeah. There. Take a
0: walk, get pizza delivered. You'll be golden. <laughs> anyway, um, we will be back next time, continuing our discussion of how other media can help you improve your writing. We will be talking about TV shows and movies. And yeah, we will see you guys in a couple weeks.
1: We can't wait to see you again. Bye.
0: Thanks to purpleplanetmusic.com at www.purple-planet.com for our intro and outro music.